2: Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.
3: The Around the NFL Podcast. Just put up new wallpaper in their bunkers.
0: Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hans. It's coming to you from a virtual room filled with heroes Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Week two, the flagship show, and you know what? I feel like it happens every year. There's always one week where it feels like the the football gods were especially cruel in reminding of, us of mankind's mortality and, and that we are fragile ultimately, no matter how how much the greatest of us builds up the body into a temple. Um, Nick Bosa. Solomon Thomas, Jimmy Garoppolo, Raheem Mostert. That was just one game that I covered today. Saquon Barkley, Drew Locke, Paris Campbell, Malik Hooker, Christian McCaffrey, Anthony Barr. If I'm missing any, shout him out. But that is a lot of big time talent. And many of those injuries are of the serious nature. It sucks, but that's football.
4: Yeah, I think we expected that going into this COVID year, just like that there was for whatever reason, they're going to be a lot of injuries or a lot of like, which team is, you know, going to actually keep, have the roster that they expected to. Then there was all those opt outs and then they're really, it's been normal since then. I don't know if this has anything to do with the fact there's no training camp. Who knows? Um, but it was, it was aggressive. I mean, see, seasons change. I mean, you're right. Like the Falcons, for instance, lost three starters today too. It, it, even like big time names that maybe, you know, didn't make the headlines. It felt like every game there was three or four starters going out.
1: I agree with Dan. I would point to the football gods. I think they were the ones that are behind this, Angry. along with other, you know a lot of other uh, nuisance uh, generating actions, lever pulls from the gods. But imagine a week ago if this all happened in week one, the hot takes right. coming out about um, you know shortened, no preseason, truncated training camps. Let's never do it again. Let's go back to the norm. Well, I if there's one good thing, it, you can't tie it directly to that at all. It's just. Freaky nature A lot of
4: great games though today A lot of great games You enjoyed it reasons.
5: Yeah one of the reasons we appreciate sports Is because we all understand That ultimately our bodies are going to betray us Uh, But for three hours You watch other humans Gain mastery over these bodies And um, they lost that battle today
0: Why would the gods smite us Wes you're a man that You know things (laughs) You're a philosophical type Tell us why did they smite us
5: it's the deal we're given, you know. At birth, you don't have mastery over your body; it has mastery over you, and you answer to it.
0: Mm.
1: And we condition. and we get too haughty, and so they they must remind us to not be so haughty.
0: Thus, the smiting. All right, Greg does point out and it shouldn't be lost, and it won't be lost because we're just about to go through every game from Sunday of Week 2 that there was some fun football. It wasn't all about injuries and your fantasy team being ruined. Get off get off your own high horse. Get out of your own world. It's not just about your fantasy team. Oh, sorry, you had Saquon Barkley.
5: Man. <laughs> Come on. That's a human being, bro. I thought like 10 or 12 years ago we all kind of reached the point where we realized nobody else cared about our fantasy teams but this year... It came back with a vengeance. Like, I have <laughs> I've had to hear about so many different people's fantasy teams, even though we all know nobody cares about it. I each mean, other. how annoying has Erica been? Just I just popped alone.
6: back in to tell you because Jet's sitting on the couch right now and my speakers are on. And she's like, oh, Dan's just mad about fantasy because she's kicking your ass this weekend. Don't so care. she just wanted me to let you know. Like, <laughs> no, that's good. Oh, all of a sudden now you're mad, but you're losing pretty bad this week. Now
1: weekend. it's like, now let's not care. It's, too, it's cool to not care about our team. Well,. <laughs>
0: You got to find that happy, that balance, you know? Don't get me started on our in-house league. It's not being run with a steady hand. I'll just leave it at that. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. All right. So let's get into it. What's that?
5: Who could see that coming a couple weeks ago? (laughs) (laughs) Let's
0: get into it. A lot of good football to talk about. So let's dive right in and uh, start with, an excellent game that went down to the final second. 46 for the win. No timeouts. Good snap. Good hold. 46 yards. Yes, sir. Kiss that pig.
5: This game, Brad, and this comeback
0: deserved to have 100,000 people in this building. Brad Sham, the Sham God. And I think that was Babe Laufenberg reflecting on pandemic life at the end there. Uh, Greg Zerline kicked a 46-yard field goal as time expired, and the Cowboys somehow overcome four fumbles, a 20-point deficit in the first quarter. They beat the Falcons. I mean, come on, Falcons. 40-39. to Greg, an absolutely wild finish. As thrilling for the Cowboys as it was devastating for the Falcons, and Arthur Blank, who's cut, you know, cutting over to Arthur Blake on
4: the sidelines again with two minutes to play. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Oh my gosh, this is one of the worst losses I've ever seen. I mean, I know the Falcons gave their fans the worst loss um, that, that people have ever seen in terms of blowing a lead. It, it's not just that it's twenty to nothing or twenty-nine to ten or the fact that the Cowboys had to score three times to catch up from 15 down with 15 minutes left because they missed the two-point conversion where you really figured uh, it was the end. It was the execution on this onside kick, and the, the Falcons did not approach the ball. I, you could see them mentally freezing, thinking, well, if it doesn't go 10 yards, we don't need to touch it, and then nothing happens, and they just— multiple guys freezing at the same moment. And the second they made that mistake and the Cowboys fall on it, you know, Greg, the leg is going to capitalize because the Cowboys are going up and down the field. And that gets me to my larger point that, You know what, Falcons? You didn't deserve to win this game anyways. This isn't like a game where, hey, you're the better team. There's no rule you have to give up four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. The only reason they're ahead in this game is because they forced and recovered three fumbles in the first quarter. But at no point watching this game did I think, hey, the Falcons are a better team than the Cowboys. They looked very similar, which is exactly what I expected going into it. Two teams whose defenses have not shown up for the start of the season and two teams who, despite Cowboys uh, missing all their offensive linemen, had no problems passing the ball and moving the ball up and down the field. So they're very similar teams, and I don't want to hear how you're you're unlucky because your defense is so lousy. Like It's not like they deserved a, a win especially. There was this incredible
1: number put out after the game, and it, it shouldn't be that surprising that it's lopsided in one direction but the falcons had 39 points and zero turnovers and entering today since 1933 teams are 440 and oh when they have 39 (laughs) points and zero turnovers 440 and oh that record now falls to 440 and one
4: wow only the falcons it's insane. Well, that that's the thing. Like, if you watch this game as a Falcons, I know what they were thinking throughout it was. We sh- they should have way more than thirty nine. I know it's hard to put it on the offense. Matty Ice has played as well as you can possibly play uh, to be zero two. Calvin Ridley is making the leap. I mean, he is a true number one receiver. They they at one point scored six straight positions. Then again, they picked up those fumbles in the first quarter in field goal range and didn't get touchdowns. Julio Jones had uh, a ball hit him right in the hands that would have been a 50-yard touchdown, one of the best passes of the day, and it was from... Falcons wide receiver Russell Gage on a trick play that Jones dropped. They never got those points. That was actually the the only punt they they wound up having uh, in the second half. There was a bad call of 12 men on the field that prevented them from even going for a fourth down. So it felt like they could have had even more, but I still go back to Dan Quinn as a defensive coach whose defense just can't get any stops. So it's like, how much can you complain? Maybe they didn't cash in the way they...
0: Could have early on. Maybe Julio Jones should make that catch, which he definitely should have. But he still put up 39 points. Right, take that game home. My goodness, that is absolutely terrible. And yeah, you. This is the 100th. I don't know. I, I thought last year was the 100th anniversary of football, but apparently they keep this year popping is. up with
1: new 100-year. Maybe stats next year is. I know. have no
0: <laughs> idea. It's melting. Uh, but this is also a historic <laughs> game. The first time in NFL history that a quarterback passed for over 400 yards. And ran for three touchdowns, which is what Dak Prescott did. And Wes, it looked like when you're watching this game for most of it, that it was just gonna be one of the, speaking of fantasy, a hollow monster fantasy game, but it all came back to be very important, just continuing to put points up on the board.
5: Yeah, credit. Bones fossil. They Bones. they hire him to be special teams coordinator and he lures Greg the Leg Zerline <laughs> over. That was one of the best onside kicks ever seen the way he had put the English on that ball and had it spinning. Mm -hmm. And then the Cowboys got out in that little turkey buzzard prayer circle to psych (laughs) out the Falcons, and and you're not even allowed to touch the ball before 10 yards. They had him convinced that that was a rule. Just stand around and watch the ball. I was
0: was thinking about that, how Bones, who's one of the best coordinators in the game, he got out of L.A., came to Dallas. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you guys know who the special team coordinator of the Falcons is, but either those guys didn't execute in the moment or they were not, they were were not properly coached. That's crushing. I was just I was just rampaging uh, on Thursday nights, the Thursday night football recap about onside kicks and how ineffective they are. They still are, by the way. But that's how you got to do it. It has to be a perfectly uh, placed kick, and then you need something zany to happen, mm. which is how that played out. I mean, what a, what a wild finish! Don't you, oh, you feel like
1: we're like we're? I mean, a, one or two plays away from a full helping a week's full helping of Mike McCarthy hot takes had the Cowboys <laughs> yeah. lost this i mean it's just interesting Ooh. how one or two little i think you might have been plays... involved with a
0: few of them Sessler, if uh, if they didn't well, pull this game out
1: i i don't actually i think i think it might like mike mccarthy's lower on my radar than than on some. i mean the 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 early season is wacky you come out of this one and one You know the Rams game. I don't put. I don't have a big problem with that. I don't love the play calling in the Rams game at the end for Mike McCarthy, but I mean he just avoided all the heat that is landing on Dan Quinn.
4: Right. Exactly. Dan Quinn's going to get it now. That's why. First of all, I always think people when they get on guys for racking up in garbage time. I usually don't buy that it's actually garbage time because it is always possible in this offensive league, especially this season where they're not calling any penalties. They kept putting pressure on the Falcons to keep responding. And for the most part, they did. Um, Dak Prescott does deserve credit because, and so does Kellen Moore and, and to a degree Mike McCarthy because he's an offensive coach, because they didn't have three of their offensive linemen. Tyron Smith was out. They adjusted their game plan. They. They threw shorter passes. It was some rollouts. Uh, You you know, you had Dak um, running, obviously, uh, near the goal line. Zeke looked really good again. Ceedee Lamb made plays late. And so I I think they did a good job adjusting. They just didn't hold on to the ball in the first quarter. Otherwise, you know, they would have put up 45 or 50. And for the Falcons, you know, Dan Quinn's, in trouble, and this is brutal, and they lost their right tackle, Caleb McGarry, looked fairly serious, and they lost Tack McKinley early in this game. Keanu uh, uh, Allen, uh, or Ricardo Allen, rather, was in and out. I'm not sure if he even finished, so it, it, they cannot get stops right now, and both of these teams can't. I'm amazed how bad the Cowboys' defensive line has looked through two weeks. I mean, they were a disaster today, too, uh, all their pass rushers, really. It might be time on Tuesday show
0: to roll out the 2020 version of the hot-butt rankings to see where some of these coaches are. After a couple weeks, that's a conversation to take offline. For now, we move on to another game. Oh. oh, what a lock for the Zeuser! I well, didn't realize ridiculous. that I that locked up ridiculous. the Cowboys until so- my mention started popping off about it. I mean, I mean, sometimes the football gods, they're smiting some and kissing others, and I got one right on the forehead from the football gods in that lock. So 2-0. All I didn't right.
1: get too comfortable with the football gods, Dan. They seem to um, think about you in various ways. Not all, yeah. Pleasantly. Right
0: later in the show, there's yeah, a tease. I, I take my I take my forehead kisses from the football gods where I could get them. Uh, all right, here's another game that ended on the last play. A 58-yard attempt. He's had plenty of leg on the first two
6: attempts. Butker's kick is up. He lines it up. The kick is long enough. It is good! Harrison Butker, money, 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 penalty.
0: Trying to freeze him. He (laughs) thaws the Chargers with a 23-20 walk-off, 58-yard field goal, tying a Chiefs record, his own record that he tied earlier in the game. At two minutes to go in the overtime, the
3: Chiefs go to 2-0 and continue their dominance over the AFC West.
0: Oh yeah, open bar in the kicker club tonight. For Harrison Butker and his entire entourage, he drilled a 53-yarder, blown dead due to a false start. Backed up, hit a 58-yarder, blown dead after Anthony Lynn attempted an ice out. Nice try, Tony. But Harry Butker would not be denied. His third attempt also split the uprights from 58. This time it counted, and the Chiefs escaped Anglewood with a 23-20 win over the Chargers.
4: Fun game. Remember, I gave that pep talk to the kickers. Closed door meeting. I mean, Bucker did, didn't need it. buckers you know, if it wasn't for Justin Tucker, Bucker would be the best kicker in the league right now. But,
0: but Wes, you know how it is with sports teams like the manager, the coach, he gives the speech and then he needs his leaders to step up and kind of make that message really land. That's what Harry Butker did for me. Um, well, anyway, that's
5: why he's Buck kicker. That's why he is.
0: It was a fun game, included a Beyonce-like surprise album drop
4: of the Justin Herbert era. Greg, that defense for the Chargers fought its
0: buttger off.
4: Yeah, I mean, this this was a, a classic. Maybe I was, I'm jazzed up about this day because I got three classics, I realized. What a job I did on draft day. Mm. Um, Herbert <laughs> comes out there for the first snap. It's very mysterious. Tyrod Taylor's on the bench. We find out now... Tyra Taylor, as we are taping uh, you know, Sunday afternoon in Los Angeles, Tyra Taylor is in the hospital. It, so it, it was a legitimate injury. He had a chest injury through the week that apparently he made worse. Um, and it, he was on the injury report that he made worse during pregame warmups. Uh, he was clearly in some pain uh, on the sidelines. And Herbert comes in there and I don't think he's going to come out of there. I, no. To me, even though, and we'll get to what the Chiefs did and all the details of this game, but to me the takeaway was this Chargers team is frisky. I, I really like what we're seeing out of their defense. They they played an outstanding game today. Uh, they deserve to win. And Herbert showed a lot, was fun to watch. Their backfield of Eckler and Josh Joshua Kelly is awesome. I mean, Kelly, I wish we had mentioned him last week because he played so well last week too, and he did it again. They racked up... I think over 260 yards between them today, and uh, they lost this game. And I know you—we're not supposed to give out lollipops—and there's some things you can fault with Anthony Lynn at the end. But I'm going to go ahead and give them a lollipop. They, it took some highlight level, god level plays from Patrick Mahomes for the, the Chiefs to win this game.
1: One lollipop for all of them to lick with their <laughs> tongues. I mean, I here's here's the thing
4: I would say after it, their COVID
0: tests,
1: it, right? It's a rough, it's a rough <laughs> loss, and I I I'm not ever a huge fan of a team like the Chargers handing the ball back to someone like Patrick Mahomes in overtime. Um, th- there weren't a lot of other options there, but I i don't know, maybe you, you're kind of sealing your fate at that point.
4: Well, there was but, one. Run the ball and, and well, see. You've yeah. been running it great all game. I would just say anyone would say we get why Anthony Lynn did
1: that if they for, if they didn't convert you'd get why you why you did it and and now you just you don't even try but I I don't know if you guys were with me I was just really down on Justin Herbert coming out of Hard Knocks for no other reason than it was sort of the overall Justin Herbert experience Seemed a little mousy, a little bit in the distance, not really an alpha male type guy. He was guy. a rookie. He, was well, a right, rookie. But, but he really gave
0: off that vibe. He
1: yep. did. I mean, not, and not every rookie quarterback gives yep. it off to such a degree, but I mean, to watch him play today, um, my issue with Tyrod Taylor, and I wish him the best, we all do, but is that he thinks he's a very limiting quarterback and he limits what you can do. And, like, I just was very suspicious of the whole Chargers operation, this whole let's win games 12 to 10. That's cool in 1971, 30 something years ago. But now with Justin Herbert, if he can, and this is a template of what he can provide. Wow. I mean, they have somehow backed into an interesting young quarterback who changes the course of their season the same way the last couple times Tyrod Taylor went out and was replaced by a young high pedigree upstart.
5: Hmm. Yeah, if he wasn't passing so well, I'm not sure if he even makes that mistake of the game when he clearly had the easy first down running um, and decided to throw late across the middle against the grain, um, and it was intercepted. And Tony Rono pointed, pointed out those are mistakes you have to make, so you learn never to do them again. Um, but But without that play, it was legitimately one of the most impressive starting debuts I remember. I mean, it was, it was, he changes the nature of that offense. And you pointed out Joshua Kelly, Greg. I thought they didn't win last week's game without Joshua Kelly. Right. Like, he gave them their offense in the fourth quarter. And Romo said at some point in this game, Eckler and Joshua Kelly are one of the best backfields in the NFL already.
4: Right. Uh, Romo's um, praise of, Herbert, um, I I think helped cement it for me. You know, it's just how many next level plays he was making in terms of like looking off uh, the cornerback on his touchdown throw, and then just throwing a dart. Look, he that was that interception changed the game. He also missed a couple throws on on third down that that he would like to have back that were pretty makeable throws. So it, it wasn't perfect, um, but. He's just a better version of Tyrod. That was the thing where I thought Romo was a little off base, you know, wondering how much they got to change the offense or they have the old river stuff. It's like, no, Herbert, if anything, is a taller version of a very athletic quarterback that, you know, might miss some gimmies here and there, that was known to be a little too safe here and there, certainly wasn't in this game, Um, but on some level that him and Tyrod made sense as a pair, and uh, he's just going to start the rest of the season barring an injury now. There's just, I just can't imagine they go back to Tyrod.
1: Well, and also, I mean, quickly, like, the debut didn't come after a full week of practice um, taking starting reps. Finds out minutes before kickoff that he's jumping into this against
0: the Chiefs. I like these surprise album drops for a quarterback. Obviously, I don't like oh, the yeah. circumstances behind it, but more more teams should do it because uh, it, the quarterback who's has very little experience, uh, no experience in the case of a Justin Herbert, you know, he doesn't have to deal with answering questions all week and dwelling on the media focusing on him. Then, bang, he's out on the field. In fact, do we have that, Ricky? How this is so unusual for it to be a situation where they thought he, they thought Tyrod Taylor was playing right up to the right up to the coin flip. Um, And then even the play-by-play guys, the great Matt Money-Smith and uh, Move the Sticks, were surprised to be looking down on a field that did not have the starting quarterback that they anticipated. Let's listen to that. And how about this? Justin Herbert is out to take the first snap in a pistol formation, fakes the handoff. Actually, no, he does, in fact, hand it off to Austin Eckler, who pushes past the 25, all the way up near the 30. That's going to be a gain of nine. He's staying out there. Justin <laughs> Herbert starting this game. No inclination that that was going to be the case at all. We talked to Tom Telesco. We talked to Anthony Lynn. And what a secret! As Justin Herbert makes his NFL debut with a handoff to Austin Eckler that goes for nine. Now Very under center, the number six overall pick. Very odd. And I just I know you handed out the lollipop ready, and everybody's looking at it, and it's filled with saliva of many delicious, men. Delicious, delicious candy uh, treat. Come on, Anthony Lynn. We talked about yeah. this last week. One thing that holds him back as a coach is how conservative he can be. You cannot punt that ball back in overtime. I don't care if you're on your own 34 yard line. You need one yard. The offense has had a pretty solid day, all things considered. Very solid. Almost 500 yards. Right. And if you, and if you, uh, punt the ball away, it, all Patrick Mahomes needs to do with the second best kicker in the w- league, by the way, Justin Tucker's still the best. Is getting to field goal range. You can't do that. I mean, I think Anthony Lynn really, really let down his team today with that decision.
4: I, I agree, but I do want to point out he went for fourth down twice in the first half, which I thought was, you know, was on the other side of the field. But I thought that was a good sign. It was, it was like, oh, maybe but it doesn't it look- take as
0: much onions in that. Right? Spot, no, right? I get it. But it was on the his side with the- onions.
4: You got to have a feel of your team and, and the way they were running the ball. I I thought there's so many different plays you could do there. Whether it's throwing it to your running back or actually running the ball. You're right. You you got to keep it away from him. In his defense, I think he had so much fi- he had a lot of faith in his defense and you saw it. You saw that they only got to kick the 58-yarder. You saw that the Chiefs were in tough third down situations. When the when Mahomes got the ball with 2 minutes left, everyone including me said, "Okay, Mahomes is going to go score a touchdown." But you know what? He didn't. They punted five of their first six possessions. Uh, the Chargers really dominated the game. It really took Mahomes' throw to Tyreek Hill, which is one of the best throws you'll ever see, and, a, and an unbelievable catch, too, uh, by Hill, followed up by one of the best two-point conversion throws that just looked absolutely that inhuman thick. you'll ever yeah. see, so that's sort of what it took, and on, on the rest of the drives of the game, they either punted or kicked field goals, Or the one really clean drive they had was kind of like last week where they had to go 15 plays and everything. So, man, they made the Chiefs work, and it was still a terrible decision by Lynn. I criticized it at the time, but I do at least understand the faith he had because his defense was playing so well.
1: Can I I just say one little beef that I have, and it's not the Chiefs' fault at all, and it's certainly not Patrick Mahomes' fault, but... Um, You know, Twitter middle school is really struggling when Patrick Mahomes does the new greatest thing he's ever done. Uh, No one knows how to describe what he does in words in any interesting way. It's just simply (laughs) Mahomes is just so amazing. i like, thank you. Thank you, sports. Get on Twitter
4: so much, yeah. Well, it's a little
1: hard on Sunday, but I just like, you know, people struggling to describe the physical
4: feats of Patrick Mahomes is um, troubling to me.
0: I'm sorry, Mark. Sorry that you have to deal with that.
4: It's not hard on Sunday. It's the perfect day. That's the day. I, I send out the tweets. I don't read anything.
0: All right. Let's let's uh, let's keep on moving. Let's talk about another superpower of the AFC.
3: Lamar Jackson splits out wide to the left. It'll be a direct snap to Mark Ingram running off left tackle. He's got a huge hole. Oh, wow. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown Ravens. What a play call by Greg Roman. He went direct snap to Mark Ingram. Split Lamar Jackson
0: out wide to the left. They needed a yard. They got 21 of them and a touchdown. Are you paying attention, the Adam Gases of the world? That's how you have to run an offense. You got to keep teams off balance. You got to give them different looks. You got to keep everybody on their toes. Mark Ingram takes the direct snap on fourth and one and then takes it to the house. And it was the dagger for the Ravens who. Post with 33-16 win over the Texans in Houston. These just feel like two teams on different levels. And as cruel as the NFL was to the Houston Texans for giving them at the Chiefs in the kickoff game and then the Ravens in Week 2, well, at the same time, Bill O'Brien's team has to show up. And this they have not come ready to play. Deshaun Watson, again, feels like he's... He's got the world on his shoulders, and you could see that strain, that nothing is coming free and easy in this offense. You remember the whole Will Fuller thing? Uh, will Fuller will become the number one guy. Maybe he is, but today he was shut out. He mm. had, let's see, did he ever have a catch? No. No, he never had a catch. He wasn't even targeted, in fact. He had one carry for zero yards. Thanks for playing Will Fuller. Uh, so the Texans offense is trying to figure out itself at it average three yards a carry. And the Ravens, they've just picked up where they left off. I mean, the January playoff exit was ugly, but through two regular season games, we are now coming on. If you combine these two regular season games with how they finished and really performed the entire regular season last year, this is one of the great dominant runs September through December that I can remember any team having.
4: No argument there. I I saw something today that, it's like, wow, the Ravens have gone, taken what they did last year and they've like, gone another three steps. It's like, well, all right, let's slow down. That's one of the greatest regular season teams I've ever seen. Like You're not going three steps further, but continuing it and adding new elements to it and playing a little more consistent defense from week one on, which they were not last year, um, is going to make them so hard to beat. And they play the Chiefs next week. A little too early in the season for my taste, but it should be fun. I mean, I think Way the one
1: issue is Lamar Jackson. Like, if there were, if you wanted to point to little elements of his game that needed help, he shored them up. I mean, he's gotten distinctively better over two off seasons, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I early, around halftime, and I was kind of tracking this one off on the side. I was thinking, looking at their box score, thinking they're not really running. Like, it doesn't seem like they're dominating. They didn't have like a hundred yards, 150 yards rushing in the first half. It was like a little bit off, and then at the end of the game. They have 230 plus yards on the ground. I mean, they they
0: really come so easy, with
1: this right? Team. They can do everything they did a year ago. They just you throw in J.K. Dobbins, you throw in a couple other guys. It's like they simply have more weapons. So, I think last year's last week's game against Cleveland was absolutely authentic. Today's game is absolutely authentic. This is who they are. Uh, there's probably one or two teams in the league that could touch them right now.
5: They're so good that that they psych out other teams. They psyched out Bill O'Brien. Early in the game, he went for fourth and one on his own 34-yard line, and I just don't think Bill O'Brien does that against other teams, maybe Mm. the Chiefs. And it's been a tough measuring stick for the Houston Texans these first two weeks (laughs) when you have traded your way into going all in and you find out you're not nearly good enough.
0: They're definitely, right now, they seem a step below. But it is interesting. when this. it, It is one of the toughest starts to a season any team could have. And... I still have some faith in that that building that, and with that quarterback and what the coaches achieved there in terms of fielding winning teams that they'll get back on the horse, as it were, and they'll be competitive and they'll be in the mix. But right now, they're just I think even if they had a more favorable schedule, we'd be talking about right now. That the Texans don't have their stuff figured out. They just seem to be a step behind right now.
1: I think you're right. And the problem is, like, they, and you know, we've seen, uh, what was was it, two seasons ago where the Texans won like seven or eight straight to go into the playoffs and they became a different team. And so maybe there's that ahead for them. But this schedule is what would be at the end of your season two if you want to be one of these playoff teams. And they're just not, they're just not there with with the higher, upper echelon AFC teams.
5: And I don't think there's any six-game winning streak coming because teams like the Titans and Colts in their division are so much better than they were a couple of years ago.
4: Yeah, the the Ravens, too. It sounds like they lost Tavon Young, who was a starter for them, potentially for the season, a torn ACL. feel bad for him. He missed, uh, I think, a year and a half with a neck injury, only to come back and, and tear your ACL. But it, J.K. Dobbins is the first thing you think of, of like them adding elements. On, on offense but on defense man Calais Campbell seems to be making a big time difference you Two know it's weeks like around. that that really makes a difference for them and at least uh Dan you know you watch this closely it looks like Jay, the old JJ Watt is back if there's a if there's a positive for the Texans maybe that's it yep he had a couple sacks today and he's healthy and still looks like that guy
0: um so that's a positive uh but they just they need more and that yeah i think the fuller and credit goes to Marcus Peters who's you know obviously very good uh, but Will Fuller getting shut out and not even targeted, and just disappearing—that that's putting Deshaun Watson in an impossible situation. Like I don't know what I don't know what you do in that situation. Like if it, you need him to become that guy, and at least in Week One he kind of picked up stats in garbage time. Week Two he doesn't exist. Luckily Randall Cobb at least showed up in this game and they got
4: some. Other places, but this this offense has a lot of work to do. And they get to go to Pittsburgh next week. You, you thought Ooh. the schedule makers were rough
5: to My start? Goodness. They get that the three wild. best AFC teams right off the bat. That's a.
4: I mean,
0: those <laughs> that, that to me, right? <laughs> those are the the t- the three superpowers of the AFC to me right now. With all due respect to the people up in Western New York, you can make a case that that's another big time team up there, but. That who that I don't know if I can remember another team that had it that tough out of the gate. Um all right. Speaking of superpowers. Roethlisberger back, looks out to his left, lost one along the sideline, going for Chase Claypool, who catches it in stride. Claypool stays in bounds, crosses the 20,
3: the 15, the 10. The rookie chase Claypool in for his first NFL
0: touchdown 84 yards. Roethlisberger to Claypool. Wow Ben threw that long and Chase Claypool ran under it and that that's what Chase Claypool does.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're already two year two games into his career at the that's what Chase Claypool does. <laughs> <laughs> that was Rob King of WDVE and Tunch Ilkin. The Steelers are looking good through two weeks. Big Ben hit Chase Claypool for that long score, and the Pittsburgh defense held off a stubborn Broncos attack led by backup Jeff Driscoll. 26-21 the final. West James Conner had a big day as well. It seems like Pittsburgh has playmakers coming out of their ears right now.
5: Well, the James Conner numbers are skewed because he got loose for a very rumbling, slow 50-yard run um, right at the end of the game so it's not like he was hammering out five, six yards at a time throughout the game. Um, But the Claypool, uh, adding him to that offense and then Deontay Johnson kind of making the leap too as a run-after-catch guy, you watch his team play, and they've had some stops and starts. They've had some fits, and maybe they could have run away with this game. Um, But but I look at this team, and they've got dimensions that you didn't think they had with, with Claypool. I thought about my oncologist after that touchdown. He is a diehard, obsessive Steelers fans, and you know the type. that They're not casual in their fandom. Uh-huh. Um, and he's going to be – I'm going to see him on Tuesday. He's going to be talking Super Bowl because, you know, w- with all due respect to the Ravens and Chiefs, this Steelers team had the number one defense in the NFL in my book last year. They look even better this year. Everything you could have possibly envisioned for T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree hmm. when you drafted them – they played to that level last year and and wreaking more havoc this year i think watt had two and a half sacks today dupree his pressure led uh lock into dupree and that's what caused the fumble and the injury that sent drew lock out of the game
1: that injury i mean it's it, they say two to six weeks at this point uh, sprained AC, uh, AC joint. I just, I don't know. For me, I, I was really excited about, I, I need like other teams to rise up and c- capture my fancy during the course of a year. And the Broncos became one of those teams on Monday night. And um, it's a whole lot of, different with Jeff Driscoll under center. I feel like my excitement will be uh, shelved for a month or so.
4: <laughs> Although, I mean, y- we
5: you talked said- talked you- about that.
4: You said your oncologist will be all excited. How excited should he be about a five point win over Driscoll? I mean, I'm looking at the stats; look pretty decent for Driscoll in this game.
5: Well, Driscoll is what he is. He's going to give. He's going to make his defense's job really hard because he moves the sticks inconsistently and he he forces a lot of mistakes while doing that. He's just not a very good passer. And to his credit, he did move the sticks a little bit today. Um, If I'm a Steelers fan, I'm excited because the Broncos have pride, and they're not untalented. Credit to them for losing their starting quarterback and still coming at the Steelers. But for me, when I look at the Steelers as a fan, I would think we've got everything we expected to have with this team and even more. We've answered questions about Ben's arm. We've answered questions with the receiving core. We've answered questions with the offensive line and our defense is lights out. Seven more sacks today. They come at quarterbacks like it's the 1980s. Your first job Ooh. is to, is to survive four quarters and stay in the game.
4: Hmm. John Elway, though, your boy Dan. I mean, we this isn't second guessing. We killed. It was like the thing I I feel like we talked about more on the, on our podcast this offseason than anything else. Why is John Elway so afraid to sign a backup quarterback? Like, what in a in a year when backup quarterbacks are all over the place, you know? Andy Dalton's outside of Walmart, you know, I holding up signs looking for jobs. <laughs> Jameis Winston, all, you know, there's a there's a million and and Elway really said like he didn't want to threaten. I don't know. It just that's what it, it was. He
0: he kind of staked his claim that Drew Locke's his guy, and he didn't want Cam Newton in that building. He didn't want Jameis Winston, somebody that would potentially undermine Locke's confidence or, or cause internal questioning over who the guy really is. And he got what he wanted because there was no question coming out of training camp that Drew Locke was their quarterback. But yeah, when you fly with, when you're on the trapeze without a safety net, Jeff Driscoll sometimes happens. So good luck with that. Could be a season breaker for them. If he's out a month, month and a half, they're already Owen two. Right, It it might be too late by the time. We don't even know, not to belabor this point, we don't even know if Drew Locke can really play, and he might come back in a situation where they have to win you know, seven of eight games to make the playoffs, depending on how this goes over the next few weeks. It's it's a bad situation that could have potentially been avoided.
5: I agree. I think we tend to think of when quarterback injuries happen, hey, he's out for the year and you have no chance anyway. They weren't on offense. But sometimes it's just two to three weeks, and if you can get by and stay in the race, you need a backup good enough to do that, and I question whether Driscoll is good enough to do that.
1: Well, and a year ago, we we're coming off, you know, Vic Fangio saying that Drew Locke isn't even prepared to play in the NFL <laughs> yeah. last summer. So it's like things happen fast, and if you just go in with one quarterback, I think that. You know, the Bears had a little bit of some of that action too, where it's like, we're, we're protecting our starter to such a degree. And that's fine. Except your starter is not in eighth grade running at a middle school pop warner team with a fragile psychology. If he is, he shouldn't be an NFL starter to begin with. Bring in mean, the best the whole- possible backup.
0: Isn't the whole Drew Locke experience partly like, oh, he's got so much confidence, he's got great flow and he's rapping on the sidelines and he's got moxie. Well, then, if it doesn't sound like he's a flower. Right, Right. but But that also
1: also just isn't Drew Locke's fault. That's John Elway's issue, which I think we agree on. It's not Drew Locke's fault that he sprained his AC joint either. I mean, I think he has been promising. So I think the evaluation is fair on Drew Locke, but the environment is what's questionable.
0: Okay. By the way, Wes, you mentioned... Use the term move the sticks a couple times. I like that as a football term. I feel like that would be like a good name for a podcast. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on.
5: adopt that as an online persona. <laughs> Just a thought.
0: A handoff. Unclaimed IP. Deep, takes a long look downfield going deep again. He's got a man wide open. John Brown, he makes a catch. Touchdown! Touchdown, Buffalo! John Burnham Brown, Brown John from Brown. Josh Allen. Six. Touchdown Bills with 3.09 to go. They're up by 10. A 46-yard touchdown pass. What a play. Dagger. What is this? this? 1920s? Swingers? <laughs> Where's the flappers at, Ricky? WGR. Like music. With the call. John Murphy, Steve Tasker, Josh Allen through for 417 yards. Oh, Rosie. Rosie. Four touchdowns! Rosie, both career highs, and the Bills wiped out a fourth-quarter deficit, knocking off the Dolphins, 31 to 28. Mark, there was endless talk about Josh Allen and the need for him to take the next step in his third season. I imagine, just based on this box score and where they're at right now, that Bill fan, Bills fans are feeling pretty good about their guy right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, if it's a roller coaster ride. Uh, this is the part of the ride where you're, you know, you're up on the top. You can see all of Los Angeles, or in this case, all of Western New York, unfolding before you, and it's a beautiful uh, early September day. Um, Even Niagara
0: Falls is beneath you. That's sure, you're,
1: you're above the falls, so everything is great. Um, for me, I think it has a lot to do with Brian Dable, who we've mentioned before a bunch, and I, you know, Dable. he has been all over the place as an OC. But I think he helped Allen down the stretch last year. I think he continues to do that. Allen, and I really don't care about passing totals. It just seems like a lot of it can be wacky stuff. But these are coming in wins. This isn't garbage time. He's the first Bills quarterback to throw for 300 yards in back-to-back games since Drew Bledsoe in 2002. I think that just tells you how low-functioning some of their passing attacks have been since. But... This to me, the game. I, I looked at the Dolphins about three quarters, and I, you know, and you, Greg's talking. about he got a great draft. I probably had one of the worst um, uh, weekly drafts you could you could conjure up for games because when this thing sunk into a weather delay about an hour and forty min- <laughs> minutes into it, I thought, my heavens, what have I gone on? What's going on here? The Dolphins to me looked identity free, just like a team with really nothing special to offer at all. Um, three quarters through. And maybe that special element is when Tua gets on the field at some point. Not terrible. I mean, they're not last year's team, but they're kind of last year's team. And <laughs> Buffalo, you know, basically just plotted and moved their way to a win here. This is a game where I think, but this, Buffalo's not going to win the same way that. Kansas City wins, or or really even Pittsburgh. I just think that they are who they are. Um, it all rides on Allen. Not to be totally cliche about it, but it does. Stephon Diggs is working out. I would say that the Diggs connection, the the whole signing. There's another sliding doors world where Diggs is upset already, um, and he's annoyed at Josh Allen. Who's thrown in his eight interceptions. Off to a really good start. That'll I like the complicity. The what? Eventually, eventually? I'm just trying to keep it positive here. I mean, yeah. Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are an interesting backfield combo. They just have, you know, you look at where they were two years ago on offense and where they are today and how quickly they built around their quarterback. For some of these quarterbacks that are, are non-functional, that's part of it. And Allen had, doesn't have the excuse, but nor does he need to make him. I mean, he's these are two of his better weeks around. I think the Dallas game last year was a high watermark for Allen, and he's he's heading into that territory right now. And so, so far, so good for a team that should win the division um, if the Buffalo or if the New England Patriots stumble.
0: The mm-hmm. Stefan Diggs move right now looks like a masterstroke. And I will say it wasn't as obvious now as it seemed then, because when they pulled the trigger on that trade and gave a first round pick uh to the Vikings, there were a lot of people saying, why would they give up a first round pick for Stefan Diggs when the greatest wide receiver class in 20 years is coming up and you can get somebody cheaper and perhaps even better than Stefan Diggs? Well, then real football starts, and you realize that, oh, it's good to have a 27-year-old Stefan Diggs in his prime uh, immediately hitting your roster and playing at a high level, and that's what this team needed, that guy to step in, and we're going to get to the Vikings in a little bit, a team that seems totally lost on offense without Stefan Diggs. Uh, their quarterback doesn't know what to do or who to trust. Uh, through two weeks, he's been a monster upgrade for them.
5: He's really good. Um, you know how Bruce Herriens has that? post-game routine where he waits for all the fans to leave. And then he, he takes a few people out to the old pickup truck and does the, he does the real tailgate actually (laughs) uh, on Sunday nights. I think if you're a bills front office operative, you got to hit Lake Erie and and Terry Pagula's yacht for, for a post-game drink after this one. I mean, look at you drafted a very polarizing quarterback who had as many physical gifts as any, any quarterback to enter the league. Probably. Um, and this is against two bad teams, but so far it's working out. Like, your investment is paying off, and what you did to surround him with Smokey Brown and Cole Beasley and now Stefan Diggs, it's really working out. And Josh Allen seems to be improving by the week.
4: The the key is having a plan for it. I mean, look, it, it has been against the Jets and the Dolphins, and I'm looking forward to watching this game because I saw the, the sideline throw to Diggs on, on their – key drive at the end of the game and that was an unbelievable touch throw by Josh Allen and if he can keep doing those things you know the sky is the limit but to me it's a schemed up offense and I always say he, to me he's he's the poor man's Cam Newton and when I'm saying that I'm talking about a young Cam Newton the, you know one of the great college prospects to ever come out and one of the most physically imposing players I've ever seen I'm talking about the young Cam Newton and Cam Newton is ultimately kind of a scheme based quarterback that you got to have the right system around him or else it's going to be up and down. And, and right now they got the right system around now. I mean, Newton had that MVP season. He hasn't been a top 10 quarterback since because different things have, have happened. Uh, and right now it seems like with the talent around Allen, that they can beat up on below average defenses. And if you look at their schedule coming up, that's all I see for a while. I mean, you got the Patriots, I guess, in a month, and we'll see how good their defense is. And the Rams are fine next week. But for the most part, they're an offensive team, and that's one of the reasons why I wasn't quite as trusting of the Bills in addition to my you know, skepticism about Allen being consistent. If they can be an offensive team, like then, then the sky is the limit for them. And they clearly have been an offensive team through two weeks.
1: One like five-second note on the Dolphins, Mike Kosicki, 130 yards, We've been waiting for this guy to kind of do it. Um, He looked good today.
0: (laughs) All right. Speaking of Stefan Diggs' former team, let's see how they fared after the ugly week one showing against the Packers. Spoiler alert, they sucked. (laughs) <laughs> Cousins, three receivers stacked to the left side, empty set. Again, in his own end zone to throw. And the Colts have him for a moment. And they have him now in the end zone and somehow gets out of it. And he physically now he's past the end zone at the two-yard line. But taking a look at the officials down below, they have their arms up to signal a safety. That's going to be Justin Houston and DeForest Buckner combining and, on the sack for and, the Colts. And the- Matt Taylor, WFNI with the call. Yeah, that was Kirk Cousins' day in a nutshell. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. Failure ensues. The Indianapolis Colts become the second team in as many weeks to bully the Vikings. Jonathan Taylor went over 100 yards with a touchdown. And the Indy defense smothered Kirk Cousins in a 28-11 win. For the Vikings, it was just another ugly day. Cousins, how about this? I know you guys hate passer rating. Whatever. Opinions vary. I think it's a fine stat. It's not perfect, but nothing is. Kirk Cousins had a 0.0 passer rating late into the third quarter. Um, There were some drops in there, but in general, the offense just cannot get in a game flow. Same thing happened last week when the defense couldn't get off the field with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, This time... Uh, Dalvin Cook again, who should be the centerpiece of this offense, but they keep on falling behind and it throws off their game script and they end up in these situations where they need cousins to make things happen. And the problem right now is that he trusts Adam Thielen. And I don't know if he trusts anyone else because he just doesn't feel like he's confident going through his progressions and and, and trying to move the offense, which has been really at a standstill now uh for 2 weeks and the defense it wasn't as bar- as embarrassing as it was last week against the packers but still not a great job they got a bunch of stops and that led to field goals that kept it from getting completely out of hand here but you know Indianapolis had almost 17 minutes advantage in time of possession and they let You know, Moe Cox go wild on him for five catches for 111. The Colts ran 40 times for 151 yards. The Vikings are a team in transition right now where their offense is trying to figure out what their identity is in a digsless world, and the defense is a bunch of young guys, and they don't know what they're doing yet. And when you combine those two things against two quality opponents, that's how 0-2 happens, and it's not looking good right now.
1: In transition sounds like a very um, kind way to put it.
0: I mean, that's what you hope if you're Mike Zimmer, that they're going to figure it out. And I still think they will. But, I mean, right now, they're just not ready for
5: primetime. They're an established-the-run team. And when you try to establish the run, but you don't go anywhere, keeps putting the quarterback in awful situations, especially when you want to be a play action team. That's their identity. Last year at this time, we're talking about how great Dalvin Cook's looking, and they're running over everybody with Madison playing behind him.
4: Right. Exactly. I mean, he. I mean cousins went back to pass 30 times and uh they have 95 yards passing so they, you can you can make up a bunch of other reasons in terms of the game script or the running game and their defense and that those are all true too but that stinks I mean that's that's pathetic that's you know the worst passing attack in the league Justin Jefferson get him Greg I mean I'm just saying right now they looked I actually thought they looked good offensively last week I thought it was almost unfair to criticize the offense at all it was such a strange good. strange game that was kind of like to me, yeah, I I really did. They they I moved. They didn't do the ball. anything
5: for three quarters last week.
4: They they moved they moved the ball. There were some things that happened in that game. Obviously, that they that they fell behind. But I don't think it was a disastrous offensive performance. This this clearly was. And it, Cousins after the game to me was disastrous because they they asked him how disappointed it is to be zero two, and he answered it and I like well of course you know if you want you you set out to win each game that you played. But then he immediately pivoted to, I really wanted to focus this season on, you know, Improving a little bit more You know, making plays off script Making plays with my feet And I think I've done a good job of that Through two weeks And I'm like, are you kidding me? Because I keep hearing this on these Vikings That's all Kirk Cousins has talked about It's like, well, we want to improve You know, you can't really make plays off script anymore It's like, great You ran for seven yards once last week And you made like one throw on the run this week Or whatever happened It's like, what what are you talking about, Kirk Cousins?
5: He's the only guy (laughs) in the world Who thinks he can plan to off script (laughs) <laughs>
0: right. He exactly. <laughs>
4: exactly.
0: <laughs> Didn't he? That's funny. Didn't he have a quote before the season that he wasn't afraid to die or something? Maybe he just well, take the right, microphone from away from the guy.
1: Yeah, maybe the maybe like these streaming Kirk Cousins uh, tweets aren't the first thing the Vikings uh, Twitter feed needs to be offering <laughs> us. I want to ask you, though, Jonathan Taylor, I we've been excited about this guy. How did he look for the Colts, Dan?
0: Uh, he wasn't. I wouldn't call it an electrifying game where he was jumping off the page, uh, but he was absolutely like the guy. Uh, he was their guy, and and obviously the numbers back it up that he was a, a part of moving. They moved the ball pretty well, the Colts. They they weren't great um, punching it in the end zone, but uh, Phil Rivers threw one pick, but he, w- he was fine. Um, I thought the offense overall was solid. They did get bad news in the second quarter. Paris Campbell, a guy who just cannot – Catch a break. He had a a seven yard rushing attempt near the right sideline, went down, grabbing his knee, doing the whole thing that you never like to see, pounding the turf and then looking distraught as he's being carted off. It's not clear as of right now how serious it is, but it didn't look good. Malik Hooker, their safety, former first round. There's an update on,
5: there's an update on Paris Campbell. After the game, they say they believe it's not an ACL.
0: Okay, well, that's good because it certainly looked like a season-ending injury at the time. Uh, and then Malik Hooker, he had an Achilles injury. I don't know how serious that is, but uh, this comes one week after, of course, Marlon Mack was lost to the year to a blown Achilles. But Campbell's injury story is crazy now. He played just seven games last year. He was a, a big-time player at Ohio State, uh, but he had a hamstring injury, an abdominal injury, a broken hand, a broken foot, and now a knee, inju- a knee injury. It's just Sometimes mm-hmm. these guys, certain guys just cannot catch a he's break. He's been
1: like, getting great reviews from them all summer, too, and looked good last mm-hmm. week. And they, um, they did say, though, that this was sort of the DeForest-Buckner game you could point to where he was absolutely wreaking um, chaos on, on the Vikings'
4: offense. I mean, Rivers has got to stop throwing picks inside the five. This, this was a team that kind of defined itself for much of last year as a great red zone team, and they've been, they've been pretty bad in the red zone through, through two weeks. So he, he's got to clean that up. All right, let's keep moving. Rogers alone in the shotgun. Now Aaron Jones joins him in the offensive backfield. 18.
3: Devontae to the right, single receiver left Lazard. Give is to Jones up the middle. Right? <laughs> He's off to the races. Yes, it's going to be
0: secretary at the Belmont. No one will catch him. To the end zone. Woo, Touchdown, <laughs> Aaron Jones, 75 yards. I mean, it's so weird without 70,000 screaming cheeseheads there. But still, an inspired call by Wayne Larravee of WTMJ. Aaron Jones went off for a career-high 168 yards, scored three touchdowns, including that 75-yard surge you just heard. Packers rally back from an early deficit to beat the Lions 42-21. West Jones also led Green Bay with 68 receiving yards on four catches. The Packers have started the season looking legit. It's
5: funny. Aaron Rodgers has, with a first-round pick at his position, has one of the best games he's ever had in week one. And then Aaron Jones, with a second-round pick at his position, has possibly his best career game in week two. And a reminder Mm. that, oh, yeah, this isn't just an Aaron Rodgers team. They've got a running back who scored 20 touchdowns last year. Huh. And in this game, went wild. Uh The 230 total yards, 238, three touchdowns. Had an awesome catch, backward-twisting, leaping catch with a cornerback and man-to-man coverage downfield. Had a really impressive blitz pickup on uh, Valdez Scantling's 41-yard touchdown or a 41-yard catch. It was a really impressive Aaron Jones performance. And to me, a grown-up game for the Packers where mm. – we we questioned how much of last year was sort of sneaking up on people, taking advantage of the schedule, and how much of it was staying power. And to me, if you've watched this matchup in the previous couple of years, you know that Matt, Matt Patricia's Lions defense really takes away what the Packers want to do, takes away their big plays. Um, and Aaron Rodgers' style, to me, has always been kind of like a matador. He he wants everyone in the stadium to have the attention on him because he's he's out there putting on a performance. He had to kind of like play it mature, play it close to the vest, take what the defense gives him, um, and settle for that, letting the running back have the spotlight. Looked like a very grown-up performance after the Lions jumped out to a big lead.
1: I love Mm -hmm. you comparing him to a matador. I think that's a perfect uh... (laughs) – Comp for Aaron Rodgers. Oh, come on. You proceeds. know he wants
5: to be out there with a rose between his teeth. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's perfect. Don 488
1: Don yards on offense. I mean, I would imagine if you dig into Matt LaFleur's brain, he would rather it look a little bit more like this than Aaron Rodgers having to save the day or do it all on his own. He wants to be run happy. I think that we saw that last year, and this seems like the perfect marriage of the two.
4: Right. I mean, this, this, this is the best-case scenario for the Packers. I think they've had... One of the most meaningful first two weeks of the season. So, you know, we, we, we say you can only take so much. Well, you're, they're two games ahead of the Vikings and the Lions. Two teams, you know, various members. I thought the Vikings would be very frisky. I know Dan did too. Mark liked the Lions. They're already two games ahead, uh, with wins in, in hand. And they're showing some signs, I, I think, to, to Wes's point that, okay, yeah, they got lucky to go 13 and three on some level because they won so many close games. But there is another route towards, um, how you you know repeat it's like the luck that you are supposed to lose doesn't matter if you just get better like if they're a significantly better team and they were a fairly young team on defense um and they certainly had some areas on offense where they have big time talent like they can just be a better team and if the division is shaping up early how it looks like they have to feel very good about where they sit uh in mid-september
5: and it you can like- get better from from your own guys developing um Fox Fox's Jen Hale, sideline reporter, who listens to our show and sent me a very nice message about my cancer battle, um, reported yeah, at Jen? halftime that the Yeah, Jen. Jen Hale that they got a pretty pretty Miss stern tongue lashing. Packers defense got a pretty stern tongue lashing at halftime. But Rashawn Gary, their first round pick, had the had the game of his career so far. Mm. One and a half sacks in addition to the pressure that contributed to a pick six for Chandon Sullivan. So they're getting some improvement on a day when they didn't have Kenny Clark out there from a guy they drafted early last year.
0: If you're looking for one potential negative to take out of game two for the Packers, it's Devontae Adams. Sounds like he got beat up, uh, an ankle issue when he got rolled up on early, and then there was some type of uh, hamstring issue later in the game, targeted only three times. So hopefully that's not too serious, Wes, because as much as everyone made a big deal about uh, Lazard and MVS making plays in week one is still remains a wide receiver group that very much needs Devante Adams at the forefront.
5: The hamstrings are notoriously tricky, but my sense just from watching the game was that if they needed him, he could have gone back out there. Um, we'll, we'll see how it, it, it shapes up, but he didn't seem to be like distraught or anything about the injury.
1: You know what annoys mm-hmm. me about the lions? And it's, I, it's so easy just point to Matt Patricia. Bob Quinn, general manager, I want to put them in a room. And I want you to tell me what it is you perceive to be the makings of a team. Progress. Wait, anything. but hang on
0: a second, Mark. Hang on. You and many other national pundits were high on the right. Lions right. by but, saying that it was a roster that was ready to make a move. So now you can't come after Quinn after two losses. Wait and a say, minute. How about I finish done? my
1: statement? Like, first of all, you get into hot water and sign Adrian Peterson, and suddenly your offense. Like when we were crowing about the Lions, it was the idea of these parts working together and DeAndre Swift being someone I thought would make a big difference. He has a key drop in the first week He's part of a committee backfield. There are committee backfields that work, and there are committee backfields that are there because the team just seems directionless. This seems the latter. And me and Mina Kimes and fill-in-the-blank jumping on the Lions in mid-August feels like one of the dumber developments of the last year. So I'm not I'm not arguing for I myself, mean. but I, I would say that whether or not they were frisky this year, Bob Quinn acts like he's going to sit in this chair for 25 years. Make it happen or put someone in there who will.
0: But I still don't i and I'm not not trying to cause an issue or a rift between you and me, Mark, but I'm trying to make sense riff, of riff, your riff, your logic riff, right now riff. that <laughs> you were high on them as a team that really had the ability to well, surprise people. And the Adrian Peterson signing was done out of necessity because of injuries, and he was pretty effective in week one. I, I, I mean, I don't want to – it's reductive to put it all on the head coach either, but that – I mean, it just feels like this is a, a team that has talent that isn't coached well – and here we are again, 0-2, staring down the barrel another double-digit loss season. Well, from
1: another angle, like, you know, Kenny Galladay is not on the field, all right? Your right, backfield's not going the way it's, it's meant to, and you were flamed last week and this week, um, largely because your secondary is in total tatters, and your number one draft pick isn't on the field. So that, that I can't put on Bob today. Quinn, but in general, the overall well, Bob Quinn experience is slightly questionable.
5: And what, this is the third year of Matt Patricia's defense. They've really invested in the defensive front. And, and where's the pass rush? I mean, it's not Roger's best statistical performance, but I think he might have got sacked once. He had all day to throw for most of the afternoon. They just have no no identity on this defense.
4: Well, their identity is a three-man rush. I mean, no one loves a three-man rush <laughs> like Matt Patricia. No one loves a three-man rush and an 11-yard completion for the opposing uh, offenses for a first down more than Patricia. That that's his that's his identity.
0: Let's check in with another NFC North squad.
5: Plenty of time for the play clock. Hard count. They rush three. Drop eight. Mitch in the pocket now, darting around, thinking about what to do. Resettles, Now flips it into the end zone. Left side up in the air, making the catch. Touchdown Bears. Darnell Mooney.
0: Who this is? Good. Oh, I'm loving that instrument concert I don't even know what it is. This is a masculine song. Yes, it is. Dan Horde, yeah, uh, w- like C- WCKY with the call. The Chicago Bears are 2-0. How about that? Mitch Trubisky threw a pair of touchdowns in the first half, and the Chicago defense held off. The late Giants' comeback attempt in what sounds like an utterly thrilling 17-14 final at Soldier Field. Unfortunately, the biggest story out of this game was... And apparently, serious knee injury suffered by Saquon Barkley. What happened, Mark?
1: Well, it's if you're a Giants fan, you know, and we both know a bunch of them. You got to ask yourself if it's curtains to some degree. I mean, Saquon Barkley, Eesh. torn ACL, um,
0: Sterling Shepherd. I, uh, Is that confirmed? Is it an ACL tear for Barkley?
4: that's what it's I read I will be, uh, it's believed it's believed one of those where be. they say that's the new way to do it is we they believe it to be and the uh, MRI will confirm uh, it which yeah, it does so 99 times that's a killer another. and
1: they actually I mean Wayne Gallman uh, was a healthy scratch so they they were in hot water the minute that happened it happened early Sterling uh, Shepard hobbled off um, you
0: know it's A torn ACL for Saquon Barkley, right? One of the most supremely talented running backs we've seen in a long time, and now you're going to blow out his knee after you the the knee the ankle ligament issue last year. That is that is not fair. That makes football less fun.
1: Yeah, and it made it made Daniel Jones a whole lot less fun too. Who um, you know, and I came out of the Monday night game that we all know he's going to turn the ball over. He's going to make things a little too interesting at times, but I find him exciting and I love um the Daniel Jones experience. But today you got the killer interception. You got a, another lost fumble. It was the Giants just put themselves into a hole, the injuries mounted. And the Bears, you know, look, credit for – it was kind of the reverse of last week's game where the Bears were pretty good out of the gate. Mitch Trubisky made a couple darts, and I'm really reluctant to get on the Mitch Trubisky – Bandwagon, if there is such a vehicle roaming around, but uh, it doesn't exist. I don't know if it exists, it
5: doesn't exist, and it, there's no way you would jump on it. No, I definitely wouldn't. Wait, what is the not. bandwagon? I missed that. I I'm said sorry, just well,
1: if there was, you know, he's 2 and 0, oh, and tr- if there's people forming a Mitch Trubisky bandwagon, I would. The Joe Judge be, bandwagon?
5: No,
0: Trubisky. Oh, the Mitch, no, that does not exist. No. <laughs> it does not exist, <laughs> but he made a
1: beautiful, a beautiful touchdown um, toss to Darnell Mooney, Mooney the rookie. Uh, he did some good things, and then in the second half, you know, it just it it, it wasn't the same. I, I I don't want to call them a soft two and O because you can't blame who you're playing. Um, you beat a banged up Lions team last week. You took care of a very banged up Giants. team. I mean, team. it doesn't
4: get much softer than Swift dropping the ball in the end zone. <laughs> no, it's yeah. it,
1: it, but it's not. It's just that I think the Bears are probably um, a competent nine and seven type team, and they've gotten off to a fast start. I'm not not going to kill him but they just you know you look at how it's played out so far I mean
0: there was I'll say this. Yeah. I'll say this Mark. He's going to start week 3 for the Bears and I I'm surprised that he's made it this far and maybe maybe he'll bomb out in week 3 and we'll see Nick Foles after that. But if you're a Bears fan you're probably feeling like obviously you feel good about 2 and 0 but it's like Wow! I, everyone probably had this in the back of their mind, this idea that they were going to crater, and then they were going to turn to Foles to try to save the season. But instead, you're in like very good shape as you hit late September.
1: I mean, the team is—I—I I would say the like, team is. I, agree. I mean, unless you're like a a Bears fan with blinders on, why? What are you rooting? I think you're probably confused as to what you're rooting for to happen at quarterback, right? Well, I he mean, has
5: the best possible—he has the best possible opponent next week. They get is, the Falcons.
4: Ooh. I mean that's the thing. They don't you don't have to give those wins back and you know there's no asterisk that uh you know, Shepard and Barkley got hurt here. But this is it just reminds you of the Giants last year. I, I am really disappointed to hear this because because of the watchability factor. Dion Lewis, after Barkley goes out, Barkley was four for twenty eight. Deion Lewis goes ten for twenty. Right. That was a weird signing, I thought, as yeah. their as their backup. He just doesn't look like the same guy. And then you're one dimensional. And I thought it was I mean, it was such a telling stat that this was the first game in Daniel Jones' career. First game where he took a single snap with Shepard, Tate. Ingram, um, and who am I forgetting? And Barkley, uh, all on the field at the same time with with Slayton, who's been good. Like this was it. This was the first time that one of those guys wasn't hurt, and Barkley tears his ACL and Shepard gets hurt.
1: It lasted mere minutes, and I mean, it's you know you like. I like the way that this team is built, but availability is everything, and they have been the opposite. Mm
0: -hmm. Can someone clarify this to me? It's a modern athlete thing that pops up every few weeks when a, when a player is usually surrounding a uh, contract squabble. But in this case, Saquon Bar- Barkley suffers a devastating injury today. He's obviously frustrated and upset. He, according to an article in the New York Post, went onto his Instagram that has more than two point two million followers and scrubbed every Giants reference what? Uh, photo from his Instagram. So I don't know what what that's about, but this in general, like this idea of scrubbing your team from your social media, is a one of the weirder ways to send messages through. The, well, this is where this is our media. age. This is our age. Uh, no, show but me.
4: Alan Robinson on the other side of the field did yeah, it just this week. Did it. Wait, no. Um, tell
0: me how. Tell me how that shows our age. Like, what is that? Like, tell me why that is so- something that happens. Like, I don't
5: understand. <laughs> You're allowed to be very passive-aggressive in today's age where when we were growing up, you weren't.
4: It's almost so painful for you to be... Well, here's why it shows our age, because we don't understand it. But I think if you're under 30, it's it's some it makes more sense. They All grew right, up, well, we they have, grew up luckily we have someone
0: under 30 connected yeah. to this podcast. Let's bring in Erica Tamposi, who's going to explain to me, the old man, why it is an effective way to express yourself rather than... Post something on the Players' Tribune or or speak to a beat reporter you trust or, or not say anything at all to delete all references to the team you play for from your social media. Help me.
6: Well, we're talking about it, aren't
2: we? Well, that's good.
6: I think
1: it's also, it's mysterious. We don't know why he did it. We,
4: especially <laughs>
2: right. from yeah. Saquon's angle,
1: it's completely why do, you, why do you
4: want to be talked about when you just tore your ACL? He left one post. It might not have anything to do with the Giants. The post was like Kobe Bryant. And so maybe that, that's his thing is like now he's, he's, he's getting, he's getting into the Mamba mentality. What, whatever I don't it is. I think when you, you delete know?
6: the photos, it's showing his distaste in right. potentially the Giants organization and maybe they, he feels that it's their fault that he so was this in this situation. But he deleted everything
4: that's personal on his page too, like that had nothing to do with the Giants. And in Alan Robinson's case, it's kind of like just Alan I don't Robinson know. Apparently, the relationship the was so painful; it's like you just have to forget about your. No, he was trying to send a statement, Robin- and
6: now they're talk- come on,
4: right? Robinson's like you know strategy
5: what? worked. Yes, he fast tracks you know Sends a statement, an actual statement.
0: That's, I guess, what <laughs> like, I was are trying to, we get trying at to right? argue
5: that. Are we trying to add, argue that passive aggressiveness is an attractive? No, but what do you want him to do? Growth? Send a like a carrier pigeon, Wes?
6: Like it's, it's 2020. not behind
5: some kind of racer thing. Like you're in junior high. Speak like your a mind. getting bird addressed. Communicate.
6: communicate. He's got. He He,
5: ha, he is. He's got
1: two point two million followers. That's We're talking communication. about it. Yes, it is. He's pissed at the Giants, and we all know it.
5: <laughs> and you know? he doesn't want to be a, there. You also, can appreciate Dan. passive aggressiveness.
1: Nope. I could see a 25-year-old Dan, like he had a really bad day at work. And it's like, we're just not sure what we're doing with you at this network. And Dan like scrubs all NFL network content from his Instagram feed and like <laughs> drives home 86 miles an hour. The 25-year-old Dan from a different world, no, not the Dan of I mean, today on this His show.
4: world just collapsed and he just deleted everything on his social because his world is very black today. I, don't, I think it's a little bit of a jump to say it has anything to do with the Giants. He deleted everything. He's right. focused on rehab. That's that's what he's telling us. Everything oh, well, else is changes, out.
5: That changes the story, right? Wes,
0: well, you've read one every one. relevant sports book there's ever been, and uh, I feel like you know players spoke their mind a little bit more back in the day if they were upset. Uh, perhaps, maybe this is another example of guys don't want other people to, you know, repurpose their quote into a different narrative. I don't know. I guess I am too old to figure but it
5: out. I think that's a big part of it. It's also that there's so much money at stake now that they don't want to say anything that could come back on them. So doing this is a way of passive aggressively saying something.
6: Well, we better wrap this up because I hear Saquon Barkley's going to the town square and he's going to you know make a large <laughs> statement to the group. So
1: we better nice. get he's there. He's like a flautist with him and a little guitar player to make a big impact with. Thank you,
0: bands. thank you as always to our teen correspondent Erica Tamposi. Let's keep moving. <laughs> Fifty-five seconds remaining. Menchu pops, throws, ball batted in the air. Intercepted!
3: Intercepted!
5: Yes. Yes! Harold Landry, the man who batted it, Big Jeff, the man who caught it, Harold Landry, and the Menchu show ends as the curtain goes down with 47 seconds to go. Okay!
0: great team. Mike Keith and Dave McGinnis of WGFX with the call. Yeah, the Titans got a 49-yard field goal from Steven Gaskowski. How about that? With a minute 36 to play. And then Harold Landry snatched that fluttering garter mean shoe pass out of the air in the final minute to seal a 33-30 victory for the Titans over the Jaguars. Greg, good teams figure out a way to win close games. The Titans have done it twice in six days.
4: Yeah, they have, and The ghost was a key part of it. I mean, he hit a long field goal over 50 yards to end the first half that came off of a a special team's miscue by the Jaguars. The the Jaguars have to be kicking themselves in this one because – Their offense played so well. I was so impressed by Gardner Minshew. You look at the box score and you see two interceptions, and and you know it happened at the end. It was a tip pass at the line of scrimmage. He tried to fit it in, and he is a little shorter, so I don't don't know if you want to put that on him at, at, at all, but it was bad luck. The rest of the snaps he took were awesome. I've been so impressed by their young players in general, Minshew being the key one. He sees where the blitz is coming. He's been very accurate. He's, he's had some great touch passes. He did connect one down the field. I, I know they lost this game, um, but I watched this team with James Robinson really running well today. We, we talked about C.J. Henderson last week. Uh, they just got some young players that I think that they can be excited about and, and kind of in an opposite uh, situation. LaVisca schnatz, another guy I wanted to mention. is just, wow, when he has the ball in his hand, he just moves a little different. He played a lot of running back today in addition to receiver uh, and played great. Uh, unlike last week, they, they were the team that outgained and I thought outplayed the opponent, and they found a way to lose, which was kind of the opposite of what happened uh, against the Colts. But I think if you're a Jaguars fan, the defense is at least a year away. Um, but you're thinking that this offense with Jay Gruden and these young players, there's something there for this year that's going to be fun to watch. And uh, and for the future because it's a really young group.
1: You also you almost wonder if Jay Gruden would be given another chance at a head coach role at some point, um, depending on how this goes. It's Early for
4: that. It's early for that.
1: I know yeah. it's early. I'm just saying, like it's you know he's he has transformed the attack a little bit. I'm looking at this drive chart. Outside of one punt here, they had a stretch where it was touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. I mean, they this isn't doesn't sound like a fluky offense at all. I mean, I. To me, guess the, the Titans deserve credit for pulling out two close games, but the Jaguars, you know, talked about 14 days ago as a confirmed tank job. I um, feel like the complete opposite of that.
5: The Titans do deserve credit, and there was a lot of skepticism of Ryan Tannehill after the Titans won in the playoffs last year without him having to pass much. But it, they paid him like a franchise quarterback, and what tells me he's a franchise quarterback is because he doesn't really have bad games anymore. He almost always has a good game. And hmm. and now with Derrick Henry bottled up two straight weeks, with A.J. Brown contributing nothing, he still looks good. He still moves this offense.
4: You're right. They were a good offensive team, and uh, I thought this was similar to last year in the way that he, didn't have, he only had like a handful of throws that he had to make, but he made them. And that was what the Titans – um, did so well last year. Tannehill's go-ahead touchdown was, to me, as good a throw as Mahomes's. I mean, it, the that was as great uh, a touchdown, under pressure, getting absolutely hammered, um, put it up in the air, uh, and in a third and long situation, who was it that caught it now? It was Adam Humphries in the third quarter, and... He got up and he immediately like yelled out and won. was and to me that was such like an awesome like <laughs> reaction by Ryan Tannehill because it was a badass play. He only had to make a couple of them in this game. They protected him really well for the most part. So that that play was a little different. Uh, the Jaguars have no pass rush right now, but man, Tannehill uh, he can he can spin some pretty ones when he gets a chance. All right, let's keep moving. Shotgun snap to Murray. Steps up and takes off. Far side
0: of the 20. Got room at the 10. Cuts right to the 5. Jukes the defender
3: and scores. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. A 22-yard run. His
0: second rushing touchdown of the game. That defender is in multiple pieces at the 5-yard line. (laughs) Dave Pass, you know, Ron Wolfley always gets the glory for KTAR, but Pass with a nice call in a big spot there. Yeah, Kyler Murray, right on schedule in his making the leave season, his dual threat skills off the charts right now, 30-15 win over Washington. Uh, he threw for 286 yards and a score, but ran for two, 14 and 21 yards, so he's doing it all. Right now, Mark and uh, Washington, which looks so dominant, getting after Carson Wentz, different bit of a different task for them this week, and it did not go well.
1: Yeah, they followed their, their little uh, game script, which is, "Let's fall down 17, nothing, and then see what happens. And last week it created a um, really likable story. <laughs> This time around, no. And I don't think it's the last time they'll be down 17 nothing. I think it's hard to evaluate someone like Dwayne Haskins right now, um, in with the environment that he's in. I mean, Terry McLaurin's awesome. Uh, there's not a lot else happening on that offense. And when you get down 17 nothing, there's it, it, it's against this team, especially, it felt like curtains. This game felt like it went on for four and a half hours. I will make that personal observation. But Kyler Murray <laughs> to me, um, is such an I enjoy Kyler Murray because it's one of the kind of rare scenarios where you hype someone up all off season and he may be doing more than in some ways than people expected. Just consistently, he's throwing he threw for sixty eight percent completion percentage today. I mean, he just is um, he doesn't make mistakes, uh, not a lot of them. Uh, he he keeps a defense like Washington's completely off on their toes the entire game because he can do everything and. This offense like functions around him really well. I the thing I look at a little bit with them is just that they don't have like some of these other teams um what a, I don't think they have like a dominant ground game except it con- kind of compiles by the end and Drake ended up with 86 yards, but you don't the part of it is that Murray is such an integral part of that ground attack that like he fits right in and you don't worry about the back so much. I I just look at this team as a playoff team. I just do. I don't think mm. that this is... Um, tough division. Really? It, no, it's a tough division, wow. and it's it's also like it probably comes down to health and, and injury luck. And, and we're about
0: to get to the 49ers, not to jump in, Mark, but we're about to get to the Niners, a team that absolutely got bombed out by injuries today. Right. That changes the course of their entire season and potentially opens the door for a team like the Cardinals to step in. Right.
1: Like I'm not saying that they're the you know clear-cut second or third best team in the NFC, but with the way things are going and if they stay healthy... They're going to be there in week 17, if not like having sealed something. And, I, I, you know, the defense, which people had a lot of questions about. I mean, it's tough to tell against Washington, but they're fine. I just think this is an interesting team, really well coached and fun to watch.
0: All right. Speaking of the 49ers.
6: Raheem Mostert, Kendrick Bourne goes in motion And he gets the right edge and gets down the sideline And he's gone! Raheem Mostert is gone down the sideline First play of the game is a toss sweep And a touchdown! San Francisco! That feels
3: great,
0: baby! (laughs) (laughs) At the time, it did feel great for the 49ers Greg Papa and Tim Ryan with the call for KNBR When is a win really a loss? The 49ers had no problem with a putrid Jets team at the Meadowlands, but a 31-13 victory tempered by a host of major injuries that could doom San Francisco. Nick Bosa hurts his knee as he's being carted to the locker room uh, What with what Kyle Shanahan would tell reporters later as a likely, likely ACL tear. Solomon Thomas goes down. The number three overall pick in 2017 with a like likely ACL tear. They go down within about five minutes of one one another, uh, decimating one of the strengths of that team, the defensive line. Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't even move; he was a sitting duck behind the line of scrimmage uh, in the first half with a bad ankle. And uh, even though he had no problem picking the Jets apart because the Jets stink, uh, he came out of the game at halftime. Raheem Mostert, who you heard go untouched around the right end for 80 yards on the first play from scrimmage. He also has an ankle issue that he needs an MRI on. I believe it's a sprain at this time. This was a 49ers team already missing a host of impact players, including George Kittle, Debo Samuel. And it's hard to be optimistic about the defending conference champions right now. 31-13 is nice, but what do you do from here and where do you go?
5: Well, speaking about how old we are, I tweeted, Mark, that this was reminded me of Tecmo Super Bowl back when you would play on season mode and <laughs> they would conspire against you. It would be a string of injuries, fumbles, interceptions in the first few games. And you just say, okay, I'm going to reset this thing. Right I, this season's <laughs> lost. Yeah, Can't Except reset in real seat life. This season. <laughs> I know. It's like everything's conspiring against them right now.
4: D Ford was out of this game. Richard Sherman is on IR. D Ford hasn't been healthy basically since he got there, and they're going to need him now. I, I watched him pretty closely last week, and he did not look right. Now he has a neck injury, which has been recurring. Uh, it yeah, it's one of the big developments of the season, especially Jimmy G's injury. I, I wonder, like, we'll see, we'll see um, where where they go at quarterback. But are they really worse off? Are they that much worse off? With Nick Oh, well, with Nick Mullins? I mean, who I knows? like Nick, Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins' stats would tell you that he is a average to above average starting quarterback. I don't know if I'm there yet, but uh, that's what his stats would I tell me. I mean, Shanahan
1: coached him up a couple of years ago. That's what I mean.
4: Uh, yeah. the, the I was going to say, a I remember Nick Mullins
0: Nick Mullins had a minute on football Twitter with like the Gregs of the world, where everybody was getting excited about him. So this this could he be was the a time rookie. where it
1: happens again. He was again. a rookie
4: undrafted. Dan I, I hates wanna...
1: when we get fascinated with young quarterbacks. I guess it is. I don't know. You seem to <laughs> no, be very. No, that's not annoyed
0: true. That. I I'm certainly I'm head over heels for Kyler Murray, for instance. That's that's a young quarterback. It's, but um, it's
5: funny. Go ahead.
0: No, Nick Mullins is a guy who could be in action because he uh, Garoppolo was really. Um, compromised. There was a play in the first quarter where he went to plant on the bad ankle, and it just kind of went on him. I know I think he got tripped up a little bit from behind uh, by Quinn and Williams, but he he just went down, and I was like, oh, did he just suffer a serious injury? It seemed like the type of injury that probably could use some time uh, to get right. Uh, but unless they really you know feel highly that Nick Mullins could uh, can step in. And make plays. They need Jimmy G to be in there and try to carry this team right now. It's a very bad situation.
4: Mm. It's Felt not bad. good when Jordan yeah. Reed in his and his you know couple of touchdowns in his presence is so crucial to this team. He's turned yeah. into a nice signing for them.
0: He especially Nobody. the first touchdown showed. And Greg, you had talked him up a little bit before the season that he still he still can move and he still has athleticism. It, it just becomes an issue will his body allow him to do it week after week.
5: Nobody outside of San Francisco seems to believe in Jimmy G anymore. But it is worth noting they've played about as many games with him and without him in, in the Kyle Shanahan era, and their winning percentage is over 80 with him, and it's under 30 without him.
4: That's that's fair. That's, that's fair. One. And the Jets, um, Dan, uh, I thought they had a chance to maybe be the worst team in the league going into the year. And, uh, wow, the, you have to be a little disappointed, though. I know, that, I know you weren't expecting them to be good, but a little – This is embarrassing. I actually think
0: this is, (laughs) I honestly think this is the worst Jets team in my lifetime. I think this is, and Gase might be as bad as Kotite was. Wow. And I don't even want to waste any more time on the Jets because I'm going to let my old man uh, share thoughts on the Jets today. But it is an embarrassment. And if Adam Gase is not fired by Thanksgiving, the team is out of its mind because we don't need to see anything else. Uh They have the wrong guy leading the ship, and it's bringing everything down. Keith, take it away. His name is Keith. He's Dan's dad. No doubt about it, he's a big Jets fan. What is he going to say about the game today? What is he going to say about the game
3: today? Dan rated the Jets dead last in the power rankings last week. This is not going to change. The 31-13 <laughs> defeat today was a disgrace. The 49ers with three injured players in the first quarter still destroyed the Jets. The Jet offense was anemic. No throws downfield. And where are these calls from Gase that we're supposed to be waiting for? Three and out is a way is the Jets current way of operating on offense. The play of the day in my opinion, was was the third and 31 for the 49ers. (laughs) And they get a (laughs) 55-yard run. You can't make this up. The Jets have been a disgrace.
0: Damn. Next game, please.
1: Dan, next game, Dan, whatever we're paying your dad to do to do this, we need to be doubling it because the Jets correspondent um, role, which he which he thrives at, is um, concerning.
0: What about me? While right hear, you're
1: you going to hear the fun.
5: gravitas in Keith's voice. It, it, that's my Walter Cronkite right there, speaking <laughs> with purpose today.
0: Fireside chat. All right, next game. Handoff, run the ball, Fournette slashes their way to the 40, to the 35 to the 30, to the 30, 25 to the 20. Fournette to the championship. Don't five, think I'm gonna win that sandwich step, prop, but they're gonna be run in the,
4: the playoff ball. Leonard Fournette. <laughs>
0: wow, what a blast! <laughs> Up the gut, found daylight, and out ran everybody. Fire the cannon get him going! All right, now the handoff happens. Oh, but first, everybody, dance!
5: <laughs> Jaunty.
0: Con, friend of natives or enemy. Hey, Chris Wessling is going to jump off and jumping in the great Nick Shook. So out one handsome bald man in another.
5: (laughs) Thank you, Ash. You're too kind. Thank you. All right. Take it away, Shook.
0: Tom Brady got his first win with the Buccaneers, and Leonard Fournette went over 100 yards with two touchdowns. 31-17 win over the Panthers. Shook! What a great ally we have in Nick Shook. who knows his stuff and watched two games first today. Tom Brady threw for 217 yards, touchdown and a pick. How did this offense look in the second week today?
6: So, from the start, it was really encouraging because last week, and especially in the second half in New Orleans you know the Buccaneers I almost said the Patriots but the Buccaneers they just didn't have enough to keep pace with their NFC South rival so then they face another NFC South rival day and come out of the gate firing they score two quick touchdowns Tom Brady connects with Mike Evans over the middle for a long play that sets up the first touchdown which is a Ronald Jones run he finds Mike Evans for a score later they get to halftime they're up 21 to nothing they're rolling and I'm expecting an absolute blowout and then they just got a little complacent. They just hit a lull, mm. and slowly the Panthers built their way back into the game and came within a touchdown before, well, they realized they were the Panthers and uh, and ended up falling behind by two scores and ultimately losing. But it was, a, it was a step in the right direction for the Buccaneers' offense, but I still think they have a ways to go uh, in a number of areas. And, of course, they were without Chris Godwin, who wasn't available to play, so that definitely played a role. But a step forward, but they, they still need to be better.
1: But, I mean, so I, I read that Brady was like – Super, super zoned in all week. Not surprising. Like it's like the only thing he does in his life is practice, you know, prepare (laughs) football, but, but that it was like he was agitated by the narrative and what happened last week. Did you see a cleaner version of Brady? Is the chemistry improved and maybe they just lack like the killer instinct that? a Bill Belichick wanting to uh, wipe out civilization has in Tampa Bay at the moment.
6: Yeah. I think the chemistry with Mike Evans has improved. I think everybody else is a little bit of a, maybe a step behind Rob Gronkowski still looks like he's old and, and didn't really factor in at all. He had one target, no catches was a non-factor. Um, and you know, again, they were without Godwin. So that he'll be partying
0: again this time next year on islands. Oh yeah. This is, this is not going to happen much. <laughs> we'll, have,
6: we'll have Gronk beach version two next year. I'm sure. Yeah, but, for sure. Uh, there was a pass to, uh, one of their backups. I can't remember. Uh, last name's Grayson that the ball went off of his helmet and Brady was just in disgust. Like you've got to be, kidding. he said some <laughs> things that I can't repeat here, but you could Sky definitely
0: roll read Grayson.
6: Yes, and uh, but but ultimately, yeah, you know, they still need to take those steps forward. One thing that I was encouraged by was Leonard Fournette caught a pass beyond the line of scrimmage, and he Whoa. actually set himself up for a rushing touchdown, which was nice. Um, and then Fournette served as the closer in the end, which was interesting, but I'm still not super impressed. You know, I know Wes just left, but I, I would agree with Wes's um, summary of Fournette the last time he saw him play and the, the notes that he had tweeted out, which is, you know, he, when he gets the ball for the most part, he's unremarkable, except for when he rips off a game ceiling 46 yard touchdown. So it's like, you want to be like, this guy's not nothing. Just, yeah. You want to say he's just average and then he rips something off like that. And you're like, all right, I guess mm. I have to continue to believe in him. But <laughs> it was a better game than last week. Again, they were playing a, a lesser opponent.
4: This, this Brady version's really fascinating to me because. You know, PFF had him as having five big-time throws, which is you know a way that they measure things. And and from what I've seen, and I, I thought this was the case last week. Actually, the last two weeks, he's he's made a lot of flashy, really impressive throws, which I'm not surprised by. I think he was capable and did some of that last year. But the team's sloppy, and like the offense doesn't have a lot of continuity. I I I, uh, I have a friend who sort of jumped to the Bucks a little bit. And um, it's like they're frustrated by the coaching there. Like the co- like, it's a lot of penalties. It's a lot of sloppiness. It's a lot. And you, I guess you can expect that a little early. Uh, but at least Brady's showing something that they're making some flashy plays. It's sort of the opposite of the 2019 Patriots, who were cu- quietly efficient, just terribly ugly to watch.
6: Yeah, yeah, Kind of on that subject, there was a play where they ran a screen to LaShawn McCoy, and it went for a pretty decent game. They got called back because a lineman went downfield and just blocked a guy in the back. I mean, didn't need to touch the guy at all and blocked him in the back. It's that type of discipline that they're still lacking. The one thing that kind of stuck out with me with Brady, too, and Greg, I think you'll be able to offer more on this than I will, it seemed like a lot of his short passes that he was trying to fit to guys who weren't even really in that tight of windows, they all had like a nosedive on them. And I don't know Mm. if he was trying to throw passes low or not, but there were multiple times where his guys had to get down on the ground to catch passes where they literally came out of his hand at a downward angle, and that was a little concerning.
4: Yeah, pretty much. Well, he's a tall man, so you know, it, yeah, it naturally goes down. But I don't think that's the plan. I don't think you want that. I don't yeah, think you I, want the downward. That was that was the analysis that you were looking for, Chuck.
6: <laughs> yeah, I don't think Giannis Antetokounmpo is back there.
1: Like six, he's past. like six five. He's, how, he's how about his tail man. end of career? Uh, I can hey, throw that out there
0: as a Sure. Christian McCaffrey it. held in check, three point three yards per carry, held under it hundred total yards was like never happened last year, and then. He went down with an injury. What are you hearing about that? What have you read?
6: So he was questionable to return. And then with a minute and a half left in the game out of hand, he was ruled out. And, okay. you know, what's the point of that? He had left to get his ankle retaped and just never showed up again. Interestingly enough, they got down in the red zone again late and it was fourth and five. They're down 10. And Matt Rule elects to kick a field goal with less than three timeouts around two minutes left as if he thinks he's going to get that close to the end zone again. And of course they didn't get the onside kick and then four mm. touchdown run ended everything. I thought that was a little interesting. A, a peculiar strategy, I think, for a coach who's definitely operating with less than his opponent.
4: Conspiracy theorists might suggest he had, um, you know, some action on the game or something, but uh, didn't <laughs> even that didn't work That's out. A, like, why are you trying to cut the lead to seven?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that All is right. an interesting um, accusation there, in about that. an I'm NFL coach. But
0: <laughs> Emanating out of Rosenthal headquarters, no less. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on. Goff fakes the handoff, rolls out to his right, sets his feet, throws back left, over the top, to the end zone. Caught by Tyler Higby. It's a three-touchdown day for Higgs. There he is, J.B. Long, our boy for KSPN, with the call, Tyler Higby. Three touchdown passes received from Jared Goff, including that 28-yard hookup in the fourth quarter. 37-19. The Rams spanked the Eagles in Philadelphia. Goff completed his first 13 passes, including a pair of TDs to Higby. Rams jumped out to a
6: 21-3 lead in the first half. shook. sounds like the Rams are just on a different level than the Eagles right now. This is two straight weeks where the Rams have gotten off to a hot start, and their offense has been fun to watch again, which we haven't said that about them since they made the Super Bowl. It felt last year like they were stuck in quicksand or mud for much of the season, and now that they don't have Todd Gurley, it seems like Sean McVay again feels like he has the freedom to call what he wants. One of their touchdowns was an end around or a reverse to Robert Woods for a rushing touchdown. Uh, Cooper Cup was a big part of the offense as usual, but... But the variety was back, and it really made it interesting and exciting to watch. And it and it contrasted very well with the Eagles, who kind of just don't have an identity offensively right now, especially mm. when they put the ball in Carson Wentz's hands. This is two straight weeks where he just hasn't looked comfortable. He hasn't made smart plays. He hasn't really made a lot of big time throws. And I think in a battle where he's facing the guy who went right ahead of him in the draft, um, he definitely came out on the shorter end of the stick. There. That surprised
0: me about um, Wentz because I was so impressed with. What he did last year when they had all the injuries and yet he kept on slinging it and kept on um, uh, piling up yards and and got uh, on page with Miles Sanders or they're able to kind of will that team to the playoffs. And now with some better health, and I know they're not all the way there health wise, he seems to be kind of really stumbling, especially in the second halves of these games when they need him to make plays.
6: You know, I think that some of his offensive line struggles have affected him, especially last week. He got to the point where he had been sacked so many times against Washington, that he was stepping into sacks when he was trying to get rid of the football. And I think it kind of affected his rhythm again this week. And they just, again, they haven't really established much of an offensive rhythm. And he just doesn't look like he's in the flow of the game, like he's trying to do too much. And they were operating, uh, you know, trying to come from behind early in this game. And I think that got him out of his flow a little bit, too. And it just hasn't been a very pretty two weeks for the Eagles, really since they got off to a nice start in Washington last week. Now, on the flip side, we talk about Jared Goff and how he started 13 for 13. I'll make another video game comparison since – West did that recently with the Tech Mobile mm-hmm. thing. In Madden, among people who play Madden, there's a thing called Robo QB, where a computer-controlled quarterback cannot miss. He'll go perfect or near perfect for a game. <laughs> Jared Goff was Robo QB for almost the entire first half, which was really fun to watch.
4: That's that's him at his best, and that's why I, you know. Yes, things have to be right around him in in certain ways. He doesn't deal. You know, he's not going to create plays. But but when he's playing well. It's pretty. I mean, you can see why he was taken one and, and why McVay believes in him. It, and you're seeing the mid-range game. Now you're seeing a lot of those 20-yard passes in this game. It was a little shorter uh, in week one, but I, four different receivers with – plays over 20. I mentioned the Packers having a meaningful two weeks. I mean, this was a meaningful two weeks for the Rams. I, I think the way that these NFC West teams, because it's going to be a bloodbath to try to win this division, how they manage this lousy NFC East is going to be key. And and here the Rams start with the win over, you know, presumably two, the two better teams, Cowboys and Eagles, right off the bat. That They're in nice shape to go 4-0 against the NFC East. I think that's what it might take from the Seahawks and the Cardinals and and will you know the other NFC West team it's like you're going to have to roll up wins uh, to get into that NFC wild card to possibly win this division and that that's a great great start to the season for the Rams.
6: Yeah, another encouraging thing for the Rams going forward is their committee backfield seems to be working. They didn't have Cam Akers today, but the other two running backs combined for 128 yards and a touchdown, they looked effective. No matter who was back there, they still moved the ball on the ground effectively. And of course, like you said, those those short to intermediate throws, Cooper Cup thrives there, and today was Tyler Higby's day thriving there. And I think anytime you can get the tight end involved with that type of production, it unlocks your offense and allows you to reach greater heights. And I think right now they're they're trending toward that direction.
1: It just seems like McVay has has a lot of you know the like, the whole weight of having Gurley in his contract a year ago so much more flexibility with a committee backfield and using guys i mean i see that like not eight people had rushing attempts today, so he's using people all over the place. And the the emergence of the tight end position, and a guy like Jefferson, the rookie, the rookie wide receiver. There's just a lot of new parts. And I give McVeigh credit for essentially relaunching Rams 2.0 here on offense.
6: Yeah, Van Jefferson's really exciting to watch. He made a nice catch early in that game down the sideline on one of their first drives that set up a touchdown. And really, um, if you if you kind of just consider this offense entirely mm-hmm. and how they operate, when you get out of this game afterward. Uh, Sean McVay has got to be really excited to not have to answer questions about why Todd Gurley didn't get enough carries. I mean, he's (laughs) got to he's got to get done with the game and be like, "I'm gonna, we won. I don't have questions about this. I can go hang out in my LA mansion. This is great."
4: (laughs) Meanwhile, Eagles fans would have been. Happy enough if the Cowboys hadn't made that comeback, but now that the Cowboys made that comeback, this is dark in Philadelphia these days. Dark
0: and stormy. It is
6: dark. Yeah, you know it's they pump crowd noise in. I'm pretty sure they were pumping booze in today in Philadelphia. (laughs) They were.
0: (laughs) I noticed that actually after the last uh, Wentz turnover. Well, fuck, not in the stadium. Not in the stadium.
6: (laughs) Look, I got to give an award to the person in charge of that. Because that takes some guts to do that at home. You know, you're really going for realism right. there. So, no, uh, authentic, though, the authentic experience. Yeah, yeah. no that's, doubt. That's
0: some real, that's peak Philadelphia right there. And let us now move to Sunday night football.
3: Oh, Sunday night. Here we he go. Cam is going to take it himself, and he doesn't get in. And the Seahawks are going to win the game. Line up. With a power formation, and you got LJ Collier and Leno Hill are the two guys who are there.
0: The Seahawks' defense bends, but it does not break when it matters most. Al Michaels with the call for NBC. Cam Newton at the goal line with a chance to win it on the final play of the game gets stuffed. Seattle Seahawks 35, New England Patriots 30. And another instant classic between these two teams. I don't know if they are capable of playing a boring game. Certainly wasn't tonight. This was an awesome game um, where both teams look like we'll see them deep into January potentially because they have a lot of things going for them, Uh, even if only one team won today. Nick Shook, uh, start with you here. Um, You are a master of uh, the offensive line study game, Shook. What what were your thoughts on that last play call? Uh, Cam has obviously feasted near the goal line this season and had that great little fake uh, for the touchdown toss earlier
6: in the second half, uh, but it did not work there. I mean, as an offensive lineman and as a blocker, the number one thing you love to do is run block. I mean, nobody likes to pass block, but they love to line it up and go man on man and try to outwill your opponent and move that guy. And all you gotta do is move him three feet there to create mm. enough space for the ball carrier to get into the end zone. But unfortunately, Chris Collinsworth, you know, called it prior. I mean, we all knew what was coming, and especially if you really think about it, with the stakes of this, um, I don't know if you would call it a rivalry, but the history that has been there in the past and And uh, the Seahawks throwing the ball on the goal line in the Super Bowl and everything else that happened there. You knew the Patriots weren't going to make that mistake. They were going to give it to Cam and try to let him do what he did. But uh, great job by Seattle blowing it up, uh, you know, not allowing the fullback to kind of create the edge there, seal it off and allow Cam to try to get over the goal line.
4: Yeah, I like how everyone's immediate reaction is like, well, I would have liked them to spread it out and then run it into like a thinner <laughs> box. It's like, well, what do, what do you know? What are you talking about? First of all, they they ran those plays a million <laughs> totally times great. in this game, and it worked. And And their offensive line, this is what I want as a fan or when I'm watching other games, go with your strength. Their offensive line and the guys who failed on that play were awesome all night the only thing you could say that made it tougher is you know you're coming off a two straight timeout so you know the defense did get a chance to kind of get their breath there get their energy up but the seat C- the Seahawks won that play uh it makes that that comeback um so tantalizing because for most of the second half you you had to think the Patriots well you just got to hand it to them because Russell Wilson the touch. The the touchdowns that he throw were just so ridiculous that it almost felt like what a great moral victory for the Patriots that they found this quarterback Cam Newton who is dragging a pretty lifeless group of skill position players up and down the field. I mean, has a worse group of skill position players ever put up thirty points and in, in whatever the yards that they put up uh, than Cam Newton in this crew in this game? Like, I don't know. But once you got that close, uh, the ball goes through Edelman's hand where they tried to uh, not take the timeout, and then you get one or two yards short on the Nikhil Harry catch. Um, It it almost was an unreal comeback victory by Cam Newton.
1: Well, I I just feel like we're lucky to watch. The first two Sunday night games have been two of the cleanest, most interesting games of of this young season. That doesn't always happen on primetime, so it was just like – a thrill to sit back on the couch and watch this thing, man. It felt like a clinic of awesome team preparation. A one play that stuck out to me was when they hid Tyler Lockett the Seahawks in the backfield behind Russell Wilson and behind the offensive
0: line. Schottenheimer.
1: yeah, as an extra, as an extra wide receiver. That you know, and it was, and the Patriots are so well prepared that there were guys pointing that out before the snap. I love. Um, and this is going to annoy a lot of people, but the Patriots are so fun to watch right now. They've shaken off some of the old stale cobwebby vibes that felt to me just like the same team all the time. I feel like this team is heading um, into – they are a playoff team in my book. Hmm. They are so well coached, and the whole idea that you could just take these players and put them under a different regime. Bill Belichick is such a difference maker, and Cam Newton had a string of throws tonight – that told me his arm is all the way back. I mean, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not talking MVP here necessarily, but Cam Newton made some incredible throws and Julian Edelman, who, you know, like put up career totals tonight. Um, they're in sync. It's just very Patriots esque, but they fought to the final, final second. And I would never count this team out. The way they're constructed, the way that they operate week to week, they're just beginning to find out who they are. And Cam Newton fits
0: Cam. Looked great. He really did. He looked like 2015 Cam in this game. He did. I mean, he finished, should have thrown a pick six. That almost happened. He had the one other interception, so he wasn't perfect. But he made so many big time throws uh, in this game that, again, you could see it. If his if his body holds up, if he can do it, and he had 11 more carries today, um, they are going to be a tough out. They're going to give the Bills a run for the AFC's title and they will not be an easy out in the playoffs. And it is, it is interesting to me, like, cause the Seahawks have a great coach too. It's, it's, right. it's so, especially if you root for a team that has bad coaching, like you, you see it, you <laughs> see how different football is when you have a team that is disciplined and understands their assignments and knows what they need to do. And you see them play for each other uh these are just two organizations that are two of the best organizations uh in the NFL for years and years now. And that's why they play these great games and that's why they'll both be playing in January. So yeah, while I s while I'm um fine with the Patriots losing, that's never a problem for me. You can't be too down if you're a Patriots fan today. You just can't because you know that your team's there again, and this has all the earmarks, again, if you keep your health of a 10-12
4: to 12 win team, potentially. Of a, of a fun team, and you see the progress from Cam throwing the ball. Uh, but, man, their weaknesses are pretty weak. So, you know, you guys are putting them in January, and, and coaching-wise, you definitely figure that they'll figure things out as they go, but they have absolutely no pass rush. I mean, it's... Wilson could do what he want. And and the throws that they forced him to make, I guess maybe that, that they they would defend that, that the David Moore catch was one of the most improbable catches you'll ever see. The DK Metcalf throw and catch for the touchdown was ridiculous. Really, all three, even the Lockett one, like all three of their first touchdowns were were great plays by Wilson, so you, so you hand it to him. But they have no pass rush. And I'm not kidding. I, Edelman, look, he, he uh, wore uh, Jamal Adams out a little bit in coverage. But, uh, I mean, their best outside receiver is Demir Bird. Nikhil Harry cannot move. Their Their running backs went 14 for 20 tonight. I mean, I, I've seen Cam Newton carry a team before, and they have a good offensive line. But it's really interesting that their weaknesses are are so weak. And at a certain point, that, that'll probably be a, a bigger problem. I think Seahawks'
6: roster overall looks a lot better. Uh, yeah, you know, I think he uh, made a good point about how they have no pass rush. The only time they ever really got to Russell Wilson is when they brought guys down into the box who wouldn't typically be rushing, and they brought him off the edge and forced him into some situations where he realizes that's not a defensive end that he could outrun or a defensive tackle, but a defensive back. But on the, on the flip side, I think that Seattle, surprisingly, I know they gave up 30 points. I think they put together a fairly decent blueprint on how to fluster Cam Newton or fluster this offense a little bit and kind of short-circuited at times I mean there was more than a handful of times where Cam dropped back and had pressure in his face or he had to get rid of the football and it was kind of an ugly result that usually didn't go for many yards if any at all and I think going forward you know not not including the final play because we kind of knew how that went but going forward I think some teams could look at that tape and think oh well maybe this is a few ways we could kind of defend them but ultimately like you said you know when you're relying on julian edelman to catch eight balls for 179 yards is the the the, 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 the deep lifeblood threat. of your offense i mean although you, you can't you got to have more than one option and they're so legitimate. slow
4: in the middle like Jawan bentley their inside linebacker it's just i'm not used to seeing it's like such subpar starters from the patriots and so right, that, well, I, that's something on. that they're gonna that's something they're gonna work on
1: I'm with you, but I, to Dan's point, when you're accustomed to watching um, half-baked coaches, and I literally mean half-baked sometimes, um, <laughs> running uh, you know, middling teams, there you can point out all the weaknesses you want. And you know what? Seattle doesn't have a pass rush either. Right. Um, these That's are still two teams true. that I trust just to be there in the end and counteract um, and find the antidote to teams that do have pass rushes. The Seattle, though, I don't know if you're going to confuse Cam Newton and cause some of the issues you have if you don't have Jamal Adams. I mean, I, and, and it's it's... Dan, it's ponderous
0: for you to have to hear Jamal Adams soliloquy, so I'll keep it short. But I mean. You don't have to say that every time you bring up Jamal Adams. Well, that's why I know it's it's annoying to you, but it's just like. It's annoying that you keep bringing that up. Just talk about Jamal Adams. It's fine. Well,
1: I think he's incredible. And like, I think for Seattle to be plugged into the right scheme, he's worth whatever they gave for him. He wouldn't have been worth it if he went to the, you know, some other, some other operation for two high picks like that. But Seattle, um, who, you know, it was like, oh, he'll be bored there. I uh, didn't look bored to me. He looked um he looked completely on fire and he changes that defense entirely. They'd be they'd be in hot water without him. I mean distinctively.
0: Two, two other points uh on the on the Seahawks that jumped out to me. Uh you mentioned Metcalf. DK Metcalf holding his own and then some against the reigning defensive player of the year, Stefan Gilmore. He's uh Metcalf is a special talent and he is the perfect quarterback to maximize his skill set and speaking of that quarterback Ricky Hollywood is a little annoyed before we started rolling here that the telecast is giving so much shine to Russell Wilson as a potential MVP guy. The reason that's the case is that he's essentially a perfect quarterback. Russell Wilson is a perfect quarterback. Even his one mistake today uh was a pick six that was on the tight end, not on Russell Wilson. I think he might be the most under great quarterback of my lifetime. I think he's just a... First ballot Hall of Famer, smack in the middle of his prime. I think he's mastered the position. And what we saw today was just another clinic. And but he's better now than
4: he's ever been. I think that's he's, the key. He's, I don't he's think he's underrated. Everyone knows Russell Wilson. I don't know, man. He's not underrated. He's I, been a top three quarterback. It's kind of like the I MVP mean. vote thing. He should have never got an MVP vote. Tell me the year where he was the MVP. You only vote for one person. Right now, that's, the last exactly two weeks, my point, he's playing it at, at a higher level than anyone can possibly play. I totally agree with you. He's, he's been, been doing it. Absolutely he's perfect been a show.
0: great he's quarterback for years, but there's something. Right now, watching him, mm-hmm. it's it, he's masterful. And I think that, uh, you cannot count Seattle out when you have someone that has mastered that position and they're right at the peak of their powers.
1: Well, and they are, their offense has changed. They are, they're real so far about letting him, you know, but go. to the point
4: it almost cost them the game. They let him throw the ball in third and one deep okay. and they went for it. Okay. Um,
1: so I don't have a problem with that. I mean, yeah, they're I like, mean, you're going to rise problem, and fall but, with uh, Russell. You Love made every other face
0: throw face. tonight. That's why you, yeah. give, you give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, all right, he yeah. tried to win it there. What are you going to do? I'm, not annoying. I'm sorry. I'm
1: sorry. But this, like, there is this thing on the minute they, the minute the broadcast made the MVP comment, how he's never gotten a vote. There it's so Twitter, but it was like. Well, he never deserved an MVP vote. Exactly. Sorry, like I'd have no problem with that's someone over exactly. one of these years saying Russell Wilson is an MVP level quarterback every year. I get that there are people in his Wait, way, like you last to, year. Who,
4: it's like then you ask the person what year would have you voted for him, and there isn't. There isn't Well, a I'll year. go back
1: and re, I'll go back and find a year. I just don't think it's that to give the Russell he's Wilson underrated. an MVP It'd be vote. Cam.
4: Judge whether a
0: quarterback is truly one of the all time greats by some dopey MVP right. tropes. Like that's not really what it's about out shook you get the last word
6: (laughs) well i can't kill them for throwing that on third one because that's the same play that they ran to beat philly in the playoffs last year it just didn't work out this time but you know what russell wilson might not be underrated but you know what he is unlimited
0: (laughs) (laughs) very well that's how you put a cap on it a great week two recap and shook i know it's late where you are it's right around midnight but this uh, some characters like you this is when you get your pump in right this is a good time to get a little yoked and and it tells the body
6: never rest, never never take it easy. Yeah, I mean the gym's not open right now, but if it was open, yeah, yeah. I'd be there. I've had a key and been a, to, I've had a key to a gym and been there overnight, you oh. know, making those noises. Yeah, please those noises, my yeah. god! And especially that last one. Oh, yeah, that
1: like have you passed your bowels on the gym floor? <laughs> That's what we need to discover next. To Is it part. worth
6: it?
0: All right, that's uh, thank you, Nick Shook, for helping us out and uh r- reminder that we'll be back on Tuesday uh, with, I believe, Colleen Wolf will be sitting in the Chris Wessling chair as the plan. So uh look forward to that as we turn our attention to week three. We'll also be, of course, on Tuesday recapping Monday Night Football, the matchup between? Well, it's the Saints, Saints and the Raiders. Raiders. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> From the Death Star, this is Dan Hansa signing off for Nick Shook, the mailman, and Absentia, the old boss, Quiet Storm, and Ricky Hollywood from West Hollywood. Till Tuesday night.
5: Woo!